0: Welcome back to the Snowbling Podcast. This is your host Gord Van, and joining me again uh, today is uh, Hal Armstrong. So, Hal, uh, we uh, made the road trip out to Velcourt for the uh, for the uh, races, and uh, we dropped in to uh, get a first hand look and uh, ride of the new Tega electric snowmobile. And um, you know, it's kind of nice to be be the first ones to try this thing out. And uh, these guys are really really cool and. Uh, um, they're doing a great job on this sled. I mean, for a, b- a bunch of uh, guys, uh, you, know, uh, you know, they're, you know... En- Engineering groups and, you know,
1: out of McGill, yeah.
0: Yeah, out of, out of McGill, and uh, they've, uh, they're have previous winners of the SEA uh, uh, Clean Snowmobile Challenge. Um, so um, they've, uh, they've been at this for a few years. Um, so the power band, I thought, was really impressive. I mean, you put this thing up against an 850... And um, it's gonna give that thing a run for zero to sixty. Yeah, right. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna peter out after. But uh, for acceleration-wise, there's, there's nothing like it out there on the road, or on the snow. Um, I, I and I, coming from a guy who's owned two electric cars, I get what they're trying to do with the uh, electrification. And uh, there, there is a certain, a certain percentage of people that this sled will appeal to. Just like there is a certain appeal for road buyers for cars. Um, if you're a high miler and you're a high miler every day, it's not for you. Just like a car is not for you. Right. You have to uh, be in that range, you know, you know, going to work or whatever like that or play. Um, so we can see the snowmobile um, um, in a good application, uh, ski resort, national park. Correct. I mean, I've, I've, seen, uh, I've seen the era when uh, they had that big thing with a Yellowstone Park. Um, with you have to run clean technology in there. Yeah. I could see this thing having a a, a suitable impact. Also, uh, you run electric sleds in uh, Yellowstone, you're going to get a lot of uh, kudos. Right. Um, maybe push the. Uh, I mean, four strokes. Uh, push the technology from Yellowstone. So maybe electrification of a snowmobile can uh,
1: can do the same thing. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. And and with this machine, I mean, you can program it uh they had multiple modes to program this thing so literally you could buy this sled your kids could ride it around the backyard and then uh you could take it out uh, trail riding and like Gord said it's right now they figure it's got a, a 100 kilometer range um and they're using state of the art uh battery technology which they'll get into in the uh interview but um yeah on the snow we we rode it uh, we got a chance to to uh ride it and uh very impressive. I mean, it's a it's a working machine. It uh, throttle response was amazing. It it sounds like a sewing machine. So, you know, if you're looking for that screaming high RPM machine, you're not going to get it with this thing. Like Gord said, it's like uh, it's like a Tesla. It's like uh, super quiet. Um, but uh, boy, you, all you can, can hear is the track. Yeah, all you can <laughs> hear now is the track noise. That'll be the next thing to go. But I mean, we're all going to benefit from the developments that come out of this type of technology, and it's just going to make snowmobiles more appealing to more people and uh, hopefully grow the market yeah it'll bring
0: it'll bring uh, sledding to some new category or something like to ski, ski resorts yeah. to national parks right. where you know they're cracking down on snowmobiles and pollution and stuff like that in national parks yeah. especially yellowstone and stuff like that uh, uh parks canada too kind of
1: thing uh, so it's, it's going to open up uh this thing could open up definitely more areas for us to go riding riding opportunities it's positive all the way around whatever yeah. comes out of this project with the, these fellows this is definitely going to have an impact the next this could be the next big step in snowmobiling and we're all going to benefit one way or the other yeah for sure and
0: you know battery technology for cars has doubled in the past six years or so um that i've experienced so uh, battery technology is going to get better uh, electric motor you're not going to beat an electric motor for reliability yeah um, and, and don't other... worry about cold starting too we're hearing we're hearing comments about cold starting um electrification motor i mean you flip a switch and it starts so don't give us any of that well oh, how is it in the winter i was in the cold it it's okay it, yeah. back it down a little bit guys it, it, it's cool uh, batteries uh, uh, these batteries are are warmed um by the uh, by coolant and uh, so is the, the motor so these guys know what they're doing
1: yeah i mean this uh, this the, these motors generate a lot of heat so they still have a tunnel mounted heat exchanger they're still a, a, like a glycol cooled uh, engine and battery so they generate uh, heat and um, this is not a, the other thing about this is it, this is not a toy like no, this no. is a real snowmobile yeah so i mean you can go out and pound this thing they've had it out west they had it out in, uh, out in BC, BC, right? Yeah, With some yeah, mountain riders, yeah. and they were impressed. They were super impressed, and uh, you know the the power on this thing is unbelievable. But again, it's totally programmable. The sky's the limit on this thing. You could do five miles an hour or a hundred miles an hour on this thing. It's yeah, it's yeah. it's multiple snowmobile engines in one.
0: Yeah, great. Well, it was uh, it was a joy to uh, to uh, to try it, and uh, like I say, uh, we we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of companies. Um, startups and stuff like that come and, and go, and uh, yeah, but these guys—they're—they're uh, they're doing a good job, and uh, young and uh, very enthusiastic. Uh, you know, they—they want to—they want to do this badly. So, yeah.
2: let's
0: uh, listen. Let's, let's listen to the guys, uh, Paul Archard and uh, Samuel Bruno from uh, Tiago Motors. Enjoy this.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, I'm Paul. I'm one of the uh, co-founders of uh, Tiago Motors. Uh, this is Sam, uh, fellow co-founder. Um, so. I think the way TAIGA uh, sort of came to be is uh, myself and Sam and uh, Gabriel, who's our, our third co-founder, we met at McGill University when we were all studying engineering. Uh, we were involved in these uh, student design projects, um, this or yeah, mostly organized by the the SAE Society of Automotive Engineers. So these are competitions that promote you know student growth. Uh, they let us, let's us get our hands dirty. So we built uh, race cars. Uh, we built combustion race cars, we built electric race cars, sort of these small, like uh, almost like go-kart size, but a lot more powerful. <laughs> okay. um, that was for the, the Formula SAE uh, competition. We also got involved in the uh, SAE uh, Clean uh, Snowmobile Challenge. They had uh, they, they have for combustion, where you can build a sort of low-emissions um, snowmobile. They also had a zero-emissions class, so for people who want to build electric snowmobiles, um, so, McGill actually had a team that was running uh, since a few years before we were there. Uh, we came in on the team when uh, we started getting, I, I guess, quite good results. Actually, we won the competition in 2012 and 2013. Okay. And that generated so much interest. We were getting, like, a lot of demand from really <laughs> seemingly like random people. We had, like, a Interior Ski Hill in Brazil asking us if they could buy an electric snowmobile. So we saw, like, wow, there's, there seems to be a pretty, like, un, unrecognized market for these kind of vehicles, electric snowmobiles. Okay. Uh, so we started thinking about it, did a bit of uh, market research, just, you know, on our own, uh, and realized there's probably a, a business opportunity here, okay. which led us to uh, found the company in October of 2015. Mm-hmm. Now did that, that, did that competition win? Did it give you a grant or anything like that? Did it come the? Uh, a prize? It's kind it? of funny
3: actually from the competition, because we won in 2012, 2013, um, but we only graduated university kind of 2014, 2015. Yeah. Um, we actually stepped back from the Clean Snow Bill Challenge to focus more on the formula of the race car, just because it was a much more competitive series. Uh, and had higher performance but what was was interesting is like working a lot on the race car we were working on the powertrain technology there uh, we realized that it it had advanced really fast in the few years that we've been working on it and if we brought that back to snowmobiling we'd be able to get something that was really interesting in terms of performance uh, with, with the snowmobile
1: so this was up in Houghton, Michigan, right? Yeah. Is that exactly. where you guys went? So you guys trailered all the way? Yeah, actually, we had some so fun rides. Was there uh, a lot of competition in
3: the uh, electric? So that was kind of one of the reasons we stepped back is it, it weren't there were so many teams participating in the electric side. There's like the combustion side was really strong yeah. and had like, a yeah. really good feel. But yeah. the electric side we were only ever like three or four teams that okay. that would show up to the competition. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so it was, a, it was a fun time, but uh, like Formula yeah. SA, you end up having like 100 teams that, that show up in, in any given category, yeah. uh, so it was much more competitive. Yeah. Okay, cool. were the other sleds, the other
0: few electric sleds, were they pretty crude or? Uh, some
3: of them are pretty crude, some of them are pretty good. Michigan would field like a pretty good sled. Uh, Madison, uh, Wisconsin would show up with some pretty good uh, snowbiles. Actually after we left the competition, there's a team from Finland that showed up with a pretty good snowbile. We, McGill was kind of unique because it was the only one that really took the approach of trying to match as much as possible the, the ride dynamics of like a more traditional snowmobile and, you know, not just stuff it with batteries, not yeah. make it too yeah. heavy. Yeah. Uh, so that was always the feedback we got from the judges and kind of why we had won the competition okay. because it had it had the same weight right. and weight balance right. as the combustion one. So, <laughs> so it was, it was professionally... Just, yeah, it was a great... Engineering. It was fun to ride versus the other ones but often, you know, put a bunch of batteries on the tunnel and it would be very heavy and
1: you'd take it through bombs and it'd be terrible. (laughs) Right. Okay. Okay. Cool. So now we're X number of years down the road from when you guys graduated and, uh, and, uh, I guess when you, you, as a group, you decided to kick off this, uh, company. So it's been how many years now since you've been on your own?
2: Uh, Yeah, like I said, we incorporated in October 2015. I'd say we really got, you know, we worked a lot, you know, basically we were out of school. We're not working on anything, not taking a salary. We're just working on our business plan. Uh, I'd say the first real, like, significant thing we did is we participated in a startup competition, as startups do. (laughs) Uh, We actually, we won our category of that competition. It's organized by the business faculty at our university okay. uh, so we managed to win that um, and that is what helped us get our first uh, investors on board Okay. Um, so yeah we brought in a, a little bit of investment which allowed us to set up uh, our first shop uh, so we actually moved uh, our idea is you know this is the three of us we can go over wherever we want um, so let's try to make it work so we moved to uh, Shewinigan uh, up um, way up north yeah. It, it's, it, it's about like two hours uh, north of Montreal yeah. um, so really nice place uh, a lot of snow <laughs> okay. a lot yeah. of wilderness uh, so we worked out of there for the better part of a year um, that was our first workshop and this is where we really worked on the first vehicle produced uh, by Taiga uh, so at this point it's been I think like three years since we worked on the Sonville at McGill um, so in terms of like technology it was really like another ball game entirely. Yeah. So there was not much you know we kind of like worked worked up our knowledge on the team on the student design teams but there's not much of the actual tech that carried over. That's really we really kind of like re-engineered everything. We found the uh, the battery uh, cells we wanted to use and we made like a thermal uh, control system around that, you know, with like liquid cooling and heating. Mm-hmm. Um, we started developing our own uh, motor design. Um, and basically what we did was a retrofit of a, an MXZ platform. Okay. Um, you know, really just as like a, a showcase of what our powertrain is capable of because we had to prove that the range was possible. We had to prove that we could get the acceleration we wanted um, and all that kind of stuff.
1: So why don't we talk a little bit about, uh, so the design on this thing. So I guess the first part is is the powertrain, right? So maybe explain to everybody. Um, you're using. Uh, you know, people are familiar with AC motors, DC motors. Mm-hmm. If you're working in uh, industry to power pumps and fans and machinery, you're using a permanent magnet motor, right? Yeah, exactly. And so a little, lot more compact. Uh, produces a lot of more the same amount of power and torque in a in a compactor, compact package. And then of course you need a variable. Frequency drive to yeah. to operate it. So maybe just for everybody out there listening to this, uh, maybe explain just the basics on how that works and uh, and in comparison to our uh, you know our standard uh, internal combustion motor. And simple too.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I guess coming into the electric, the big strong point of electric is the motor. It's where you can have a lot of torque, be very lightweight, uh, and make up for the heavier battery pack. So we came into the design knowing that if we wanted to make an overall powertrain that could rival like a two-stroke one, we would have to get as light a drive package, a so motor and the inverter, as light as possible. Um, so we put a lot of efforts, kind of clean sheet design, how do we minimize the volume. Uh, one of the reasons we use permanent magnet is exactly you can get more torque, uh, be lighter overall than having, an, let's say, an AC induction motor. Mm-hmm. Um, And what we've achieved right now is our motor weighs about 20 kilograms, a bit less than 50 pounds, 45 pounds. Okay. And uh, we can get over 150 horsepower out of that package. Uh, So that's like a a crazy power weight ratio for just the motor itself when you compare it to a combustion one. Then you you balance in the battery's weight. Okay. And overall, they balance out to be a bit the same. Right. But what's great about the motor itself, then you get the instant torque across a really wide band. Of operation, mm-hmm. you can eliminate all the CBT transmission, uh, so you save weight on that end, but you also save efficiency and a much more direct uh, driving experience. You don't have any more slip, so when you press the throttle,
1: right. So you're 100%. running. It's basically you've got this. Uh, we haven't seen the, the machine yet, but uh, uh, it's almost like a, it's not a direct drive, but it, it is. So you're not going through, a, like you say, a primary and a secondary clutch with a belt. You're going directly from the output shaft on the motor are you going through like uh some kind of a gear reduction to the the chain case or uh, there's a
2: belt drive reduction just a belt drive
1: reduction so there's no epicyclic planetary gearbox on the end of the motor (laughs) to to uh drop the rpm down so So what
3: is is the rpm standard out of your electric motor uh it's max rpm is nine thousand so at top speed you'll be hitting 9,000 RPM Um, uh, you can have like a constant torque
1: so like a full torque up to 6,000 RPM on the motor and then you're stepping that RPM down to the the track driver driver to
2: yeah I mean if you're going top speed the track driver is going about 20 we have like a 3 to 1 ratio yeah (laughs) roughly Three to one Yeah, you know, if, if you're going top speed, the the sprocket shaft is going maybe three thousand rpm, and
1: it's just through that uh, Gates poly chain uh, yeah, exactly. drive reduction there. Okay, all right. So one of the items you were talking about was uh, was cooling the, uh, the the motor and the battery. Um, maybe just step us through that a bit. Mm.
2: That's uh, it's an interesting problem because. For one, you have the uh, the motor and inverter package. The motor and inverter, they're actually happy when it's cold. Uh, it, th- those pieces can operate down to minus 40. Actually, they're even more efficient at low temperatures. Okay. Uh, so those components, you, you you always want to cool them. Uh, there's no point in, in heating them, them up or anything. Uh, conversely, the battery is quite sensitive to temperature. You, you usually have to keep it within a bracket of, uh, I think it's between uh, 5 and about 20 degrees celsius okay i don't know how that works out the thing right? okay. <laughs> um so you have to keep it within that temperature band that means if it's cold and you're starting up uh you need to preheat the battery to get it up to operating temperature i mean it's like preheating your, your engine block so it's going to be
1: like a block heater like uh, on your car you're going to have to plug um, it in and warm it up
2: pretty similar yeah so we okay. have a, a liquid uh, thermal management system so it's a uh, it's like glycol running through the battery, and we have a heater built into the loop that can heat the battery up initially, okay. and then when it gets up to temperature, we hold it there, so we can inject uh, cold fluid from the heat exchanger if the battery gets too hot. If it gets too cold again, we can turn the heater back on.
1: So if I'm up north, uh, and I'm snowmobiling, and I, we stay overnight at a motel, and I've got my sled parked outside, and it gets down to minus 40 what would be my procedure in the morning to uh, start up? I mean, my standard sled, I gotta let it warm up for a while, right? Yeah, it's
3: a very similar experience. Actually, we put in a very powerful heater um, uh, and the battery has a very high like thermal transfer capability. Okay. So you're looking, if it was minus 40, you're looking at maybe 10 minutes of heating uh, to get to a good operating point. Okay. So you just turn it on and it'll heat itself up. Uh, you can start driving before then, you'll have reduced power. Uh, but 10 minutes is about op- optimal operating point. If you leave it plugged in overnight, it'll just keep itself warm, mm-hmm. and then you'll be ready to go in the morning. Uh, no waiting. So, so is it is the battery kind
0: of partitioned? So uh, you have like a 5% of the battery range is
3: is for warming and cooling of the of the batteries. Uh, uh, it, it'll just pull the energy from the whole battery pack. Um, okay. It will use about if you're at minus 40. It'll use about five, a bit more than five percent, to, to heat you up to a okay. good temperature. And if you leave it plugged in, then you have effectively no range loss. Yes, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So do you have like a uh, like a water jacket around the motor, so the motor is doing the actual heating of the glycol to keep the battery at the right temperature, or how do you do that? Yeah,
2: that's pretty much it. There's uh, there's glycol circulating uh, around the motor uh, into a few components. For the, the variable frequency drive, Okay. Um, so all those electronics are, are cooled down, okay. uh, like very directly. You know, er- everything is designed to be as efficient as possible because you know if we can if we can downsize our our pumps, uh, if we can downsize our heaters and everything, everything kind of leads to greater efficiency. You know, we run like LED headlamps to to reduce the power draw, right. uh, so really really trying to like maximize. Uh, Efficiency of the battery so it doesn't have to spend a lot of um, energy, you know, running all the auxiliaries. Okay, uh, but you know, we can still run like no problem running uh, hand warmers on uh, a seat warmer or everything. Okay, so uh, you can definitely right. handle that, and yeah. honestly, it doesn't affect the range uh, that much. Okay, but um, so
1: the heat exchanger is it cooled by the snow being thrown off from the track? So it's in the front bulkhead or in the tunnel, or where have you got that located? Okay. Uh,
2: it's in the tunnel, okay, uh, it's pretty similar to a standard, standard liquid cooled snowmobile. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah.
1: And if I'm in a situation where I'm in low snow conditions, that type of thing, uh, I'll just see reduced power.
3: Yeah, what's interesting about, I guess, the electric drivetrain is much lower losses, so you don't need as much cooling. So you can get away with having very little snow uh, flowing on your radiator. Okay. Even if you're on ice, you typically don't really need ice scratchers. Uh, just the cold air will be okay. sufficient to, to keep you at a temperature. Just so people know, the, uh, warmers
0: and coolers and batteries, that's common in the electric cars. Yeah. It's not it's, yeah. not it's not this is just not snowmobile. It's, oh, yeah. all yeah. electric cars have warmers and coolers. Yeah. In exactly. the
3: I think the main difference was us it's just uh, we can cool and heat much more rapidly. They're kinda of unique challenge of power sports snowboarding as well. If you're going up a hill, uh, full throttle <laughs> for maybe like an hour. <laughs> Um, you'll never find that in an on-road situation. The car, uh, electric cars are still known to have very big problems with overheating. Okay. And Tesla can accelerate very fast from zero to 100. Uh, if you try and do it for a prolonged time period, it'll just go into thermal cutbacks okay. uh, pretty fast. Yeah. So our system was designed from the get-go to be able to do 100% power, Con- like continuously, you won't you won't get that power cut back just because you're holding the throttle down. Oh, is that right?
1: Yeah, okay exactly. So you could pin it across the lake, and, uh, and yeah, this thing's not going to go into limp mode or something. Exactly. Uh, okay, exactly. So
0: were you we guys inspired by electric cars? Is like, a
3: De- <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, uh, part of the reason we got into university. probably the reason we thought it was possible is because of the on-road, uh, the kind of like acceleration of electric vehicle rollouts in the past five, ten years, yeah. uh, and seeing that that's happening so fast and that the technology base is growing and is there, but not seeing it happen off-road mm-hmm. um, is what really pushed us to, to go uh, start Tiger because we, we wanted the same thing to start happening in, in the off-road segment as well. We thought that there would be almost equal or greater benefits off-road because obviously you get the less maintenance, you get some cost savings on fuel and stuff down the road, but you get really potentially a better driving experience as well with uh, the reduced noise and it's just, you get better access to trails that are maybe blocked because of noise constraints and stuff where you could just have a, a better riding experience across the board for snowmobiling.
1: Right, so we're gonna be able to go out here uh, shortly and take it for a little spin. Um, one of the questions of course was is range and you've got, uh, you're telling us 100 kilometers. So in what conditions, uh, what throttle setting i mean is that uh, what type of riding were you doing to get that range
2: uh, so that's definitely like a groom trail condition so not deep snow in the mountains okay <laughs> I, I think that would be just like a you know a reasonable like uh, trail ebbing right. 100 kilometers uh, throttle settings don't affect it that much because it's not like a combustion engine where you have like where the efficiency is highly dependent on where you are in the, the throttle fuel map. Mm-hmm. Um, the electric motor is very efficient in a very in a pretty broad range okay. of operation. So you know you can be accelerating and stuff. It, it won't affect it that much. So
1: if I'm on off the throttle and going hard in a trail that, and I'm that won't accelerating out of a corner and then off it and that's i'm not going to really see that much of a change in the range of the sled if
2: if you're pushing a lot of snow uh then you'll start
1: so if it's on a load if i'm hitting a lot of powder and stuff like that slush on the lake that type of thing the mountain
2: riding
3: is the most aggressive use case so we've actually gone out to like whistler and revelstoke uh colorado kind of big mountains two years in a row now to do testing there right uh we see around 70 kilometers of range okay. when uh, you go up into the back country right. but it's kind of surprising how little kilometers and miles you travel per, you take a lot of time right uh, to do you it get, when you're in the you back country down. but uh you know, you know, know. maybe out for six hours and then we'll get back with almost zero charge but we've only done yeah six hours like 70 kilometers yeah here. it's a totally did, different did, type of riding like it's <laughs> yeah. not
1: the long but if I'm in Quebec and I'm yeah, a big exactly. into touring um, yeah. so so you know i rode a lot in Quebec so we're riding uh, we get up eight in the morning we ride till noon then we go in for lunch um, does this thing have like a uh, I can plug it in somewhere to charge it while well, I'm
2: yeah, it, it charges off, uh, well, at the base, you can charge it off a wall outlet, like so 120. Time, yeah. uh, that takes a kind of a long time, though. It'll take like six hours to charge the battery, because okay. uh, you're drawing, like you're, you're very limited power-wise. If you can pull off a 240 uh, outlet, so, you know, a lot of houses nowadays are being built with electric car chargers in mind, so they already have a 240 outlet, mm-hmm. but, you know, kind of like a same outlet as, like, a welder or... Dryer. <laughs> uh, there you'll be able to get a two hour charge. Okay. Um, if you can get access to a DC fast charger, so like a Tesla supercharger, uh, we're adding that functionality as well. And then you can get charge time in like 20 minutes or less. <laughs> but that, that'll be like much rarer. We would expect um, in the trail networks, uh, it would be possible to get 240 installed in many places.
0: Okay. because most I mean with the I, I've had two electric cars so I know the infrastructure for electric cars is huge especially in Canada yeah, yeah. Um, right, right across the corridor so most hotels now have electric car chargers yeah. is your is your
3: port the same as a was it a gs2 yeah port where you can plug it into a standard electric vehicle okay. charging yeah so you can features. take up a electric car charger Parking spot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you've got that port already.
2: Yeah, Okay. good. Yeah, that's nice. So, because yeah, most hotels have them outside the hotel. Yeah, exactly. We, well, we're definitely very concerned because that's a huge sort of barrier to entry. Uh, but I mean, yeah, like, uh, I think the, the car charging network is uh, definitely developed enough now to where. It won't be that difficult to find uh, chargers. Maybe if you're out in the woods in the trail networks, uh, right now it would be probably very difficult. Uh, but we're, actually, we're working with some partners uh, to try and establish a sort of a... You know, same as has been done for cars, trying to get a charging network in some of the, um, the trail networks. Um, that would definitely be possible. I think this is where we get to the question of what our target market actually is in the beginning. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you mentioned people who do uh, long rides, yeah. uh, I think that's one of the most difficult markets for understandable reasons. You, know, yeah, you couldn't you can do uh, Quebec to Sydney uh, uh, on one charge, obviously that's impossible and it won't be possible for a long time uh, until boundary tech cashes yeah. up. However, if you look at the other, other side of the market, which is what we're kind of more focused on now, it's the, the utility case. Yeah. Um, no, especially like ski hills. Yeah. Um, they they know pretty well how what their daily mileage looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're already operating fleece wheels, so they already have equipment in place. Uh, they're actually pretty... <laughs> they have pretty uh, high... You know, power demand already. You know, they have to, they have to run these ski lifts, uh, mm-hmm. all the snowcasts and everything. So for them to install uh, charging networks is not that big of a deal. Yeah. And they get the added benefit of uh, maintenance costs uh, are vastly reduced because you're removing the whole you know, CBT, all the combustion engine maintenance. Yeah. Uh, that's out of the picture. All you're talking about are pretty much carbides, tracks, and bent arms. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: yeah, no, it's a natural for yeah. ski hills for sure. Yeah, and,
2: and they get the you know the added benefit yeah. of nobody complains about loud, the smelly night. snowmobiles, which right. is a, apparently a surprisingly big issue with right. uh, ski hills. And this is really like around the world. Yeah. You know, we're getting a lot of requests from North America, a lot of requests from Europe, and we're getting you know people are calling us from Russia, Japan, Australia. Strangely, <laughs> apparently, Australians use snowmobiles as well. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so uh, a lot of uh, skis are wanting these, and this is really kind of our our biggest uh, our biggest market so far. So a niche market there yeah. at first. Yeah. Yeah. How about um,
0: uh, national parks like Yellowstone. Exactly. I, mean, I mean, they basically changed uh, how snowmobiles were almost built and manufactured when they when they insisted on having clean snowmobiles yeah. go through their park only. Like yes. so now it's only you know. Uh, clean, clean, clean snowmobiles like uh, the Four Strokes, have you
3: approached them at all like uh, to... Yeah, actually we're talking to Yellowstone where we've been working with Parks Canada here doing tests with them and uh, hoping to introduce pretty soon like just electric snowmobiles across Parks Canada fleet and then after the U.S. fleet of national parks as well Mm -hmm. and there's a huge, there's like a lot of interesting potential, right? You could open up areas again that have been shut down, the snowmobiles, uh, if it's electric yeah, because uh, then there's no environmental concerns uh, on that standpoint as yeah. well. Yeah. The
0: elephant was closed down for two years to all snowmobiles. Yeah, exactly. Until they brought in this new four-stroke uh, clean, clean, clean uh, technology uh, rule. And so then now the cool. only tours going through there now are yeah. guided so, and. Limited to those types of snowmobiles
1: yeah. that qualify and for that.
3: Even Yellowstone now has pretty serious uh, cool, like daily quotas on how many snowmobiles yeah, they can sure. bring in with yep. the four strokes. So yeah. uh, there's like a good potential to even kind of boost up the snowmobiling industry again on tour, the tour side, which we have a lot of interest from tour operators. Yeah, and absolutely. They can cut Real costs, tours, but yeah. also they can attract tons of uh, uh, a new clientele. You um, sent uh, the snowmobiling, maybe people, they wouldn't try it yeah. classically, but now right. that it's electric... It's more approachable, it's easier to drive for beginners. You can have easier settings and stuff. Yeah, you can limit the power on it, you can program whatever you want. So I'm sure you
1: have different uh uh, modes that you can operate it in, like an eco mode, a performance mode, whatever for like a learner key, whatever. You have pretty much
2: infinite control on how (laughs) you 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 can have have a machine to perform a hundred and fifty horsepower machine, yeah, but only you know, 30 horsepower is accessible. So There's, if you uh, want your kids to
1: people. learn how to ride it yeah, and exactly. they want to drive around the backyard, you can limit it and it can go yeah, f- yeah, five yeah, kilometers exactly. an hour. I don't think
0: we got into uh, your, your your family history in snowmobiling. Let's get into that. What, uh, I mean, building a snowmobile isn't easy. You must have had some kind of background in
3: manufacturing of some sort. With parents... Uh, I guess parents our, past, are, our background, yeah, yeah I think... We both have engineering <laughs> parents <laughs> in terms of background. And we always like, uh, you know, he grew up around motorcycles, more around kind of like motorsports, mm-hmm. uh, fiddling with cars, uh, different kind of power sport projects. Surprisingly enough, we didn't grow up snowmobiling that much. We're from Quebec, so we tried out. Uh, we do a lot of skiing, a lot of winter sports, yeah. uh, but not so much snowmilling okay. until we got to university and started participating in the Clean Snowmobile Challenge. Cool. I think being a bit of an outsider to the industry has, has, has helped us um, uh, kind of have a different perspective and bring a yeah, change yeah. to
1: it. You don't have all the preconceived uh, baggage, you know, yeah, exactly. what calling exactly. with you yeah. what works and what doesn't work.
2: Yeah, it, it helps, you know, sometimes it's nice to have the experience. <laughs> we, we make a lot of mistakes, which I think uh, yeah. a veteran might have <laughs> spotted uh, yeah. from the get-go. But yeah. I think, yeah, like Sam said, it's... When you're trying to rethink a product from the ground up, I think it really helps to have erased those preconceived notions. And then when you're ready to build it, you can bring in people with experience. I right. can kind of tell you where, where you went wrong. So who's
0: doing the work? Who's, who's actually putting
3: this slide together? So we're do? a team of about 15 engineers right now, and then we bring on some technicians, and we're more doing prototyping. And then we kind of have a network of advisors and suppliers that we work closely with uh, from the automotive side from the building world as well okay. that, that help us, but really kind of uh, the backbone of Tyga is this like pretty strong uh, young team of engineers and technicians that work together and pull some long nights to, <laughs> to keep
2: it going. I mean luckily being, being in Quebec and being so close to BRP is there's a huge supplier network in the province uh, that we basically have access to and they've been working, you know, you have got like Kimpex Alka, uh, obviously helping us out for, uh, you know componentry and suspension. Um, you've got a lot of, uh, you know, chassis suppliers, uh, body suppliers, um, that we've been talking to a lot there. I mean, everyone seems very interested in, you know, helping us out because I think we're coming in with these new ideas, new prospects, uh, I think it's very refreshing for a lot of people to see, you know, new people come into the industry. Mm -hmm. And it definitely helps us out because we have this large base of experience uh, we can draw upon.
1: Why don't we switch gears a little bit, uh, get away from the electric part and talk about you've got some pretty novel suspensions on the machine front and back. So why don't we start at the front and go to the back and tell us why
2: you wanted to reinvent the snowmobile suspension on this thing. So, when we uh, designed the, uh, the TS2 platform, um, one of our core ideas is, you know, no holds barred. We're just going if, to, if we have a cool idea, might as well follow it because we're developing a new chassis around this electric powertrain and there are a lot of zones in here that are freeing up and giving us more space to work with new ideas. So, one example of that is our, our front suspension concept. We call it the, the monoshock concept. Um, it, I'd say it's a bit inspired from a race car pushrod suspension. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've also seen something, maybe a bit similar things in snowmobiles, in I think the, the '90s. Uh, maybe I think that this quirky snowmobile had like a, a pushrod bell crank arrangement. It's yeah. very like F1 style. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, ours is not the same. It's a, it's a different configuration, basically for you uh, suspension areas out there, it allows you to decouple the heave and roll uh, rates and damping. Okay. <laughs> um, so what that means basically is it gives you better control. You know, if you have a standard direct acting shock, so any snowmobile nowadays come with direct acting shocks and some kind of a, a sway bar. Um, so if you put stiffer springs on your shocks... You're giving it a stiffer ride rate, but you're also affecting the the roll stiffness. Yeah. Um, so you know, if you adjust your sway bar and make it stiffer, that affects your roll stiffness. So it, you know, doing one change affects many um, aspects of how the vehicle uh, behaves. So our idea with this concept is. Um, you yeah, know, well, let's bring something in new that makes it easier for uh, users to tune their front suspension. It comes in with, with the added uh, benefit that your shocks aren't sitting out in the open. So if you hit something and break uh, one of the the push rods, so the links that, that act into the suspension, right. uh, much cheaper to replace. Uh, less uh, snow drag as well if you're in deep snow. You have just small suspension links that are creating drag there. Okay. So. There have been a couple uh advantages. I think What type have, of
1: travel are we talking on the front?
2: Uh I think it's six inch travel. Uh, from like full droop to uh to full heave. So six inch travel, okay. Yeah. And you got
0: uh, you got one shock doing both both sides though. Yeah. Um yeah. does that is does one does it six inches on one side or six inches if you just went straight down on both like uh, six I'm inches sure. straight down.
2: You, okay. you could, like, if you pull the nose all the way up and then push all the way down, right. it travels six inches. Okay. Um, so
1: you can adjust the compression and uh, rebound dampening on the shock uh, also? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh, an example
2: of what we've been working with uh, Elka for. Okay. So obviously it's not a shock that you can find off the shelf necessarily. So, so this is
1: a shock specifically designed for your application?
2: Yeah, they adjusted the, the damping ratios and okay. the, uh, the stroke length so uh, uh, for, for our needs. Okay. Uh, so a similar idea for the uh, rear suspension yeah. um, so there we have also the, the concern of wanting to reduce uh, mechanical drag so everything you know all the drag created by the wheels and uh, just the action of the the track going around the suspension uh, we want to work in just bigger bigger idlers bigger drivers so it, it kind of forced us to rethink the suspension a little bit because if you try that with just an off-the-shelf, like, ski suspension, you'll have to end up remaking, you know, the skid rails and everything anyways. Okay. Um, so, I, I think another example of more just, we saw an opportunity to try something new. Um, it's very lightweight, so I'd say very good for, like, a mountain use. It's got a bit of a side-to-side flex as well. Okay.
1: Is it a coupled or uncoupled rear suspension? Uh, it or? is
2: coupled, but it's uh, one-shock. One shot. Yeah, so it, it's. I'd say it's pretty similar to the Yamaha uh, Apex setup. I think from okay. uh, the mid two thousands. Okay. And why did you go with the one shock versus? Uh, just like weight reduction and cost weight. reduction. Okay. Yeah. And what pitch track
1: are you using on it, on the machine? Um, two eighty six.
2: Two eighty
1: six. Okay, so it's a standard two eighty six yeah. uh, driver. Is, is, is Elka
0: helping you out with suspension designs too, or is it your design and Elka, then you give it to Elka and they uh, say... It's mostly our design, and
2: then we go back and forth with them to see what's uh, doable for... Because uh, they build a lot of different stuff, like one-off stuff
0: too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it must be nice having them around. Uh, they're, too. they're smart guys. Yeah, so a lot of experience. They're right. literally, you know... Right around the corner, yeah. couple miles over yeah. yeah, good guys there, yeah.
1: Excellent. Cool. Okay, great. And then, um, so we've got the uh, the tunnel is uh, an aluminum type tunnel. I see the the running boards in that. You've got them the open style, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the cross mountain type style. Anything different on the tunnel that you had to do for your heat exchanger with the electric? Uh, no, we
2: kept that pretty standard. Yeah, it's minimize. more in the it's more in the front, like yeah. I guess uh, you call it the the E module. Okay. Our, our E module, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's really more made to accept the uh, the battery. Uh, packaging we have okay. um, that, that's really what prompted us to design our own chassis is that the whole kind of center and front section had to change anyways yeah. so yeah. you know <laughs> instead of buying skew chassis and taking all the rivets out and then machining your own front subframe and adding it yeah. you know, it's not. You're basically doing 80% of the work of redesigning a chassis. So, is everything
1: uh, like brighter Ford design? Is the power pack uh, more centralized mass, even maybe more so than today's type snowmobiles? What's your weight distribution? Uh,
3: so, that's what's cool about the electric powertrain, the batteries. You can play around with their weight distribution a lot. Uh, last year, it was pretty centralized. It was maybe a bit, it's very similar to weight distribution of like an Expedition kind of snow build, more like a utility crossover and that was more of the segment we were aiming for. Uh, we have some designs in the pipeline right now, more kind of the mountain segment as well so you can push the weight distribution more backwards if you want, uh, more forwards. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of flexibility there for the different rider segments.
0: Have you been able to integrate the, uh, the motor and battery pack as structured parts of the chassis like the, for strength? Like actually build a chassis around the motor and have it as a, uh, a stiffening component.
2: Or yep. it just, yeah. Yeah. I'd say the the motor and the whole drive arrangement that's definitely acting as a structural member. Uh, the battery is a little tricky because you want to, if you're using it as a, as a structural member, you have to expect that if you get into a crash, it's gonna take some kind of yeah. <laughs> load from that's the not crash. Good. And I guess yeah. and <laughs> you don't want to be uh, you know breaking the battery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so actually the the battery pack yeah. is. Uh, it's isolated from the chassis. the whole thing is damped. So we mount all our sensitive electronics in there as well. And, um, then we have like kind of a, a cradle around it that, um, that sort of protects it from all animals. Yeah. Cause yeah, of course with uh, lithium ion batteries, safety is of paramount concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to be able to protect it from, uh, intruding objects. Uh, if you crash, you can't be like crushing the battery pack. Um, so to answer your question, we've we've thought about it very hard. <laughs> for at least for the TS two, it, it's damped, uh, but we're looking at ways to you know use the structures more efficiently. Like it's to our benefit to lower weight as much as possible, because if the weight's lower, uh, the snowmobile runs more efficient, so you can get more miles for uh, like the energy you have in your pack. Yeah, what's the what's the weight separate, like the, the battery pack alone? What's the what's it pack weight
3: is about two hundred pounds. 200 pounds. It makes up almost 70%. <laughs> like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. yeah. And what, what
0: uh, if you wanted to increase your battery pack? What's the what, is there a, a ratio like, uh, uh,
3: you know, another five 50 kilometers? It's going to add another. 50 pounds? Pretty linear. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's something that we're exploring. Um, uh, if we want to start getting into maybe more of the trail segment, you can start adding more batteries. Of
1: course, Yeah, like if, like your fuel caddy on the back. If you yeah. can have... It's like a modular. That you
0: can do that. You can actually plug
3: into the original battery pack and have like... A, it will, it will yeah. be so up. much modular, but more um, uh, offered as like an option at uh, order. And then you can have that extra battery.
1: And you carry that... Inside the front of the snowmobile, under the hood, or on the back of the tunnel? or It's more going to go
3: towards the tunnel area. we start extending to having more, okay. more batteries
1: on the sled. But yeah.
3: With increasing battery technology, like we're targeting for in like 2025, we should be able to start easily hitting um, uh, like a hundred plus mile range. Uh, of a lot of, uh, yeah, so like 160 kilometers, well, pretty easily, and then yeah. and then with options that go up to 200 kilometers, uh, of of range with a bit of extra battery. And then it.
1: and then as battery, I mean, battery technology, uh, is evolving. It's, it's doubling in the, electric, in the electric and the Electric cars, it's doubled in the past. Yeah. So Let's eight years, eight exactly years or so. Yeah.
3: So we're expecting the same thing again in the next kind of eight years. Is that is that doubling? Uh, a range at a lower cost, even so, right. it's, it's going to get really interesting pretty yeah. pretty soon yeah. <laughs> for kind of mass market adoption of these right.
0: electric vehicles. So, have you,
2: got, have you got a good supplier for a battery supplier? Like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. so It's, good it's good an stuff. automotive battery supplier, so okay. they're very good reputation in the business. You know, we once again <laughs> concerned about safety, so we've taken their cells and we've had yeah. them tested independently for. You yeah, we, we folded them, we crushed them, we overcharged them, we, we did pretty much everything we could to them, uh, and they just never catch fire, which is <laughs> very comforting. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But
1: so let's talk about that. Once you're, uh, um, and, and and right now, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys are still in the for everybody the listeners. You're still in the prototype phase. You're not really into production yet. Um, all the snowmobile manufacturers have to get their sleds certified by the uh I think it's the snowmobile CV. safety mm-hmm. commission. Yeah. So have you guys even uh gone there yet? Have you already yeah. had on that type of We've kinda of mapped
3: out the certification,
1: we've talked to the different bodies and
3: uh once we're hoping kind of end of this summer we're gonna kind of start start starting that process uh, okay. on the snowmobile side. We're we're hoping to start delivering some early kind of pilot production units in uh, next for next winter. Okay. Um, uh, more to some strategic partners more um, um, thinking think like ski, ski hill specifically yeah. and then uh, the following year start more widespread deliveries okay have you got a facility lined up to uh, to do that or yeah we've got a few scoped out that we're working on right now and uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll be coming together pretty, pretty soon we'll be announcing um, kind of where they're going to be built yeah what about your, uh, your aesthetics uh, your, your cowling
0: and
2: stuff like that that's uh, right now it's all Fiberglass, carbon fiber, or what uh, what do you do? Uh, it's going to be, I mean, the prototype you see outside, is carbon fiber because we were able to produce that in-house, but we're definitely going towards more, like, standard production methods because it's got to be cheap, because, you know, when yeah. you break a body panel, it can't cost yeah. 200 or exactly. 1,000 bucks to replace it. Uh, so, you know, just more like your standard, like, UHMW or uh, polypropylene uh, plastics, Nothing out of the ordinary there. We are doing all the, the styling and stuff in house. Yeah.
1: Um, okay, so the styling's all you've, you've done that all yeah, uh, exactly. internally.
2: Yeah. The oh, oh, okay. So
3: then the next generation sled, you'll see uh, some pretty cool kind of advancements on the on the bodywork side in terms of ergonomics and overall volume. We've we've been able to really shrink everything around the the powertrain to save weight and uh, just give you an overall more nimble feel on the snowmobile.
0: Yeah. So what models have you got now? You got this. You got the hybrid model out out here. Um, What other models have you got
3: working, or are they kind
0: of
3: in the distance right now? Still a bit under development. So this was the hybrid model, but we were kind of split off for the next iteration into two more distinct models. So there's one that's really the utility. Uh, model that's going for these kind of utility applications mm-hmm. and hills and tour operators. So it's got the racks on the back uh, and the axles. Right, it's on kind
2: 154 of like, on the, uh, uh, on the C5U style. Like we'll have like an articulated track. Um, yeah, I think really more similar to like a, an expedition because mm-hmm. uh, well, oh, that's what we've seen. Like the <laughs> the great majority of ski hills and tour operators are just. They're writing expositions. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we know they like those, that's kind of what we're narrowing into, and honestly it's a pretty versatile uh, platform. Uh, maybe not so good for long range trail but i think like i said that's not really our, our target so
1: somehow. if you're going that way i mean you probably don't need a front suspension that's as complex and as trick as you what you've so developed that right you can dumb that, that down runs, a bit right, right? Exactly. You can't, you can't, definitely
2: right. one of the things we've realized is people want to be able to replace parts fast right. and we don't want to have to have a yeah, you know, it's hard to be, like, a, an Amazon of snowmobile parts. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. But if you break one of our arms, we want you to be able to replace it with, uh, you know, something that's off the shelf. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's something where we want to make it as easy as possible because, obviously, if you're running a fleet of snowmobiles, you can't be waiting around for parts because, you know, time is money and you got to make these uh, yeah. run, like, every day, yeah. all the time. Yeah. And the nice thing about
1: the electric, if, especially with... Uh ski resorts and that out west I mean you don't have to worry about the elevation change and uh, performance on I mean. that exactly. I mean today's sleds you know compensate for that a lot but but even still I mean your power is your power whether you're at uh, zero you know LLC level elevation yeah. or 12,000 feet right you know that's exactly. this thing's going to make the same uh, power
3: yeah and that's kind of the second model we are hoping to put out um more kind of in the demo stage next for next season is maybe a more uh, mountain-focused model because there's a lot of interest on on that side. You're out in the wilderness, and there's a bunch of advantages to having electric with altitude and yeah. uh, the maintenance. Not having your CVT when you're riding the engines hard, they tend to break quite often. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have that problem with electric. So one of the biggest kind of feedback we got from uh, mountain riders was if they could just have a snowmobile. Where they come for the weekend, and they can go up in a mountain and not have to do any maintenance throughout the year, yeah. no oil changes, no not oil turboing, no nothing uh, like that, yeah. and still get the yeah. performance. Right. that would be an excellent thing.
1: Right, and they're super quiet. Yeah. yeah. Any uh, anything else? Bert? Yeah, the
0: the, oh, the 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 photo behind us here. Um, <laughs> you had you had the you and the sled out, uh, Weston. Guy looks like he's doing pretty good there. Is that uh, kind of a pro? mountain guy or yeah this
3: is a bit more of a pro rider this was out in Revelstoke yeah. where we went uh, we, we have some good contacts there there's an awesome snowmobile
1: town yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're, they're kind of really outdoors and so what was, what was the, the feedback ride? like with some of the mountain riders out there, guys that are really into this type of riding? You, you would thing. think
2: they would hate it. No, they're all, they like the brat. <laughs> well, they're <laughs> yeah. they're they're, so, they're, they're yeah, gearheads
1: out there. They yeah, they yeah. like tech on technology. <laughs> exactly. you, know. you would think
2: they'd be the last people in the world who'd like this, but when you hop on it and you zip around and then you come back and you realize your ears aren't ringing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know they they always come back with a smile on their face. one of the the biggest things which they loved and
3: it's it's very easy to do very technical riding because the throttle is 100% linear and at like kind of the lower mid-end throttle you have perfect control so you you can hold it at a specific speed if you're side hilling or doing more technical riding Mm -hmm. uh you have full control over the snowmobile, a lot more than you do with the gas engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of the biggest feedback from from them. Is in the deeper snow on on their mountains, it's just a better ride experience.
1: What about letting up off the throttles? It instantaneous it just stops, like an uh, engine brake, or does it? Have you got regen. Have you so got re- re-
3: yeah, we yeah. have regen braking, and it's something that we're we're tuning uh, with feedback from different kind of riders, right. and it's something that's gonna be fully user adjustable. So some people don't want any. Braking, some people want really hard braking and it's gonna be basically actuated by the, the brake lever. So it's less of an automatic thing and more of something you have full control over as a as well, a, so be a
1: regen operator as opposed to a standard hydraulic disc brake. You'd, yeah, you'd do it that Exactly. Way. Okay, nice that's interesting. Um
0: do you, want to, do you want to try squeezing partnerships out of them? Like, uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know this, <laughs> that, is, it's kind of, this, this is kind of a tricky yeah. subject here, but you know, obviously this is costing quite a bit of money. I mean, uh, have you got some secret backers or
3: guys like in the distance and yeah, go for it, guys? And go on uh, Dragon Stand? We have a pretty good network <laughs> of like private investors that are back us from like, Canada and the U.S., Uh, to kind of believe in the product, to have some of them backgrounds in high levels of power sports, in uh, just like finances and stuff, Mm -hmm. Uh, they would like to see this come to market. Yeah. Uh, So that's mostly where we're getting our funding from right now. I'd
2: say we've used a surprisingly small amount of cash to get to where we are (laughs) (laughs) right now if uh, if you saw the numbers and if you saw what uh, other companies did to develop similar electric vehicles <laughs> you well recently <laughs> you there was a, a, a very a very good
0: motorcycle the Alta Alta yeah. yeah it was like it was really competitive yeah. and soft on the race soft. course <laughs> and then just recently it just bolted up yeah you know when they're out there yeah hayways. it's
3: too bad because when we we're out touring the snowboard actually a lot of people that were looking they wanted wanting to buy an electric snowbill. they already had an Alta motorcycle yeah. and they loved it uh had already kind of transferred there but then all the tech was there and it was it was a nice bike
0: it's you know and then they just folded up so you guys are being careful not to you know blow yourselves up and, uh, yeah, and that's the thing you
3: have to be careful for I'm a manufacturing company you to make sure your product is uh, 100% ready and all tuned out before you start selling to people and go into production because the wow. last thing you want to do is start doing with recalls yeah because building
1: companies. a couple of prototypes and then going into manufacturing is exactly. a whole different ball game right exactly. I mean even the big guys I mean you know they'll spend four years developing a component a motor whatever and then all of a sudden first year in production all these gremlins come out yeah. right from the assembly of it right you know where it's not under the microscope when it's being put t- together so that's a that's another big challenge down the down the road but uh definitely i mean you guys have got uh your uh you've got something uh, here that there's definitely a future for for sure we all know right we're seeing it in In bicycles with electric assist bikes, it's exploding, Uh, motorcycles, uh, and then the sky's the limit, like we were talking earlier, for other power sports, right? Um, What about patents? Like, I mean, you guys have put a lot of hours uh, into these things, and the ideas are, are... worth a lot of money I'm sure you must have some patent applications profiling yeah. <laughs> trying to a patent and develop some
3: pretty unique technology yeah, yeah. absolutely
1: yeah. like your yeah. algorithm for your drives your uh, the, the, the motor I mean that's 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 the heart of it right yeah. so it's a
2: it's a bit tricky to decide what to patent and what not to, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> if you patent something, then everyone knows. how I know you this it's thing. out there, <laughs> right? Yeah. I know mean, it's, it's always uh, you know yeah. It's so always hopefully, some... do we keep something uh, industrial secret, or do we try to yeah. patent it? Yeah, if you try to patent it, it's got to be something that we think other people would like to replicate, and so you can either license it out, or if you want to be mean, just block other people <laughs> from using that yeah. tech. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we're using more just to protect ourselves, you know, make sure that someone doesn't come out from under us and keep us from uh, doing what we
0: want to do. Speaking so. of those guys coming out from underneath you, obviously everybody's going to ask, are the OEMs interested? Have they talked to you? Have they? Uh, you can say yay, nay, but you know, I'm, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. We
3: can't comment on it too much. Uh, there's, there's definitely interest, but on the OEM side, uh, from our perspective and our discussions, uh, they're several years down the road from bringing something into the electric domain. You're going to see something happen very similar to what we saw with Tesla and uh, the automotive space. So, someone's going to come out and prove the model works, and then the kind of big guys are going to follow on yeah. after
2: that. Because I know sh- if they're not working on them already, they're, they're obviously looking at it in the future. Yeah, for the like good guys to get to this they have to be convinced there's an untapped market yeah. out there for them because they might not be so interested in sort of cannibalizing from their own existing customer yeah. base they want they want volumes they, they want, want big managers yeah. too exactly. we can have a huge discussion about regulations after that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. lobby, lobbyism exists you know. <laughs> what, what type <laughs> of noise there, does this
1: thing make that you're talking about regulations like uh uh, you know the noise level right now for sleds, I believe, is seventy-eight decibels. You know, at fifty feet. What 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 type of sound measurements have you done? What am I? It in?
3: depends on the surface condition quite a bit. But on a hard pack, you get about sixty-five decibels. Okay. Um, uh, so if huge magnitude. It's so quiet. Uh, yeah. You drop it no. really low. decibels Pretty much
2: all the sound comes from the uh, the track drive the track arrangement. Range. So yeah. yeah, if you're on deep snow, that gets damp, but mm. the snow yeah. like pretty directly. Right. It's also annoying because it's like. Really difficult to get rid of. <laughs> you need to you, know, you need to play with your uh, sprocket arrangement. Yeah. You need to. Uh, people have done some weird things to try to attenuate that noise, and you know the the clean sound yeah. challenge. That's one of the big things is people trying to kill ones. their noise. So they put skirts on their tunnels, and you know obviously we can't do that for a production sled. It'll, yeah. it'll look kind of dumb, and it's yeah. really heavy. Well, but your your
0: electronics have you got? I mean that's something you you just can't buy off a supplier. You have to build that yourself.
2: That's, all done ourselves. Yeah. Everything, every PCB, you know, every circuit board on the snowmobile that's designed in house, we do all the software as well. So we have like a fully connected dash system. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have a, a phone app to, to control everything. Yeah. There's nothing really off the shelf we could even use to drive a lot of our systems. Yeah. Um, so the basic components, it's all like very established uh, suppliers, and then we bring it all together in our electronics designs. And
1: uh, yeah, all
0: right. Um, so we we'll start wrapping up. But um, so price wise, you know what you, what you guys got into into that model out there now. How much flexibility is there uh, down the down the road? Like, what do you expect? Uh, you could
3: sell it for or is we're there a margin aiming, in it for you? Yeah, we're aiming a price point around fifteen thousand dollars. US, US. US. that was initially so starting in the early stages and then we have a like kind of a pretty aggressive price factor to get down into like the twelve thousand range, that we like by twenty twenty five. It's very battery battery price driven, like all the other electric vehicles. Um uh But we definitely see ourselves, that's why I took on this clean sheet design approach is because we wanted to be price competitive. The snowbill market is very competitive to begin with. Uh, We don't have the luxury of so much having super premium stuff like in the car segment that that sells for a hundred grand. So you have to have really good design and manufacturing methods to to get a product down to a level, especially when you're talking to skills, they care mostly about price. Yeah. And they have to be able over a three to five year lifespan that we go. They have to save money, bottom line, over what they're replacing, or else they won't do it. So that was really what set our price point.
0: Hmm. Okay, so what's the timetable? What uh, What are you looking at for time uh, to get a few more models on the on the
3: on the snow? We're hoping to have a f- next year pilot stage, like kind of pre production pilot stage models out on the snow. Um, uh, definitely more than five. <laughs> Uh, at a few different places across the world, and then the following year hopefully start more widespread, widespread distribution.
0: Um, if somebody came up to you, Banff, Yellowstone, say we want some snowmobiles right now, how could, could you do it?
3: Uh, we're not currently integrating like new snowmobile demands for the next year. Uh, we're very much backlogged in terms of uh, on the demand side. Mm-hmm. A so you've got, so got,
0: you've got kind of potential order, order customers. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's not... So a, what do you tell, what do you tell them? Uh, yeah, we're still working <laughs> Wait, Well, basically, it's like uh, we'll take down your name, we'll take down your information, your fleet information, your local cost, and be what you're looking for. And yeah. we, we establish kind of a priority list. And then as soon as we can start ramping up production, uh, start getting these people. Yeah, their okay. Scenarios. So you're not like
1: taking deposits or anything for these things. It's still they're on a waiting list and then they're going to go from there. You know, yeah, like it's a
0: Tesla, the Tesla Model 3 where you're taking $5,000 deposit from thousands of people to out from upfront the production costs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, not right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> um, the name, Tiger, where did, where did that come from? Uh, so Tiger is
2: actually another name for the boreal forest. Um, yeah, so it's a forest that's found sort of a bit... If you're in the like Saguenay region or in North, it's kind of the, the small trees that's <laughs> yeah. called the Boyle forest or the the taiga forest, okay. the more scientific name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we thought it was, it was kind of cool. It's got five letters like Tesla, <laughs> <substitute> <laughs> <Yeah. to you. laughs> but um, yeah, it kind of like has a, an idea of like nature and you know, yeah. the whole idea for us is we want to create vehicles that allow people to enjoy nature without like spouting fumes and.